when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, this is Cork Today with Patricia Massinger. On the home of Cork's greatest hits. Cork's greatest hits. And a very good morning to you and staying on the topic of the weather, there has been a sort of a touch of frost there this morning, but uh, don't um, run for the winter woolies straight away, even though you certainly needed some winter woolies this morning. But the good news is that certainly here in the south, we can expect some rather nice temperatures and if anything, a slight spike in the temperature is going to hit us here uh, in Munster from Wednesday. Temperatures, we're looking at uh, nice sunny days and temperatures around 20 degrees for Wednesday and Thursday. I mean, today highs of 14. Tomorrow, much the same, around 15 degrees. But then it just starts to build ever so slightly. And uh, in the south, there will be nice, sunny uh, days for thir- for Wednesday and Thursday. Now, the forecast is already looking that they'll, they'll dip a bit again at the weekend, but certainly we'll take the bit of warm, sunny weather that we're expecting this week. You're very welcome along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Texting also available on WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A couple of different topics we're going to be raising on the programme this morning and I can already see commentary coming in on it. For example, we're going to be discussing rural crime and how much of an increase are some areas seeing when it comes to rural crime. And when you look at Garda figures, Garda figures will sometimes tell you that crime is on the decrease and rural crime is on the decrease. But it seems that anecdotally that a lot of rural crime goes unreported. In some cases, it seems some farm families feel intimidated by the people who they know who has actually can who is actually responsible for the crime, and they feel intimidated by it. And others feel, what is the po- what's the point in reporting? And of course, we always say to people, there is a point in reporting, if for nothing else but the statistical reasons. Even if you don't get your items that were stolen back, there's the statistical reasons of that the guard can come and say how much crime is happening in a particular area, and if there has been a spike of crime in a particular area, then maybe something can be done. But the only way we can find out the exact figures is we need everybody to report but as I say some people feel what's the point of reporting there are not enough Gardaí uh, on the beat on the ground to actually come when you do make a call and on Friday we heard what worrying news for people in rural areas for sure the news from Drew Harris the new Garda Commissioner he reckons too much money has been spent on overtime and he has called on a 
a, a cutback on overtime between now and the close of the year and he wants the reduction by 30%. So they don't marry together. I mean, if you have people living in rural areas saying that they are not reporting rural crime because what's the point? Or if you have people living in rural areas who are living in fear on a daily basis saying there's not enough Gardaí on the beat and then you marry that with, it doesn't marry should I say, with the Garda Commissioner saying well I want to cut back on Garda overtime which means obviously there's going to be less Garda hours and less Gardaí out on the beat and in mobile patrols in rural areas. So we're going to talk about that on the programme and already a text in from a listener saying Patricia most of the rural crime is done by unemployed people. So we can't be seen to pay social welfare to these guys who are busy driving around the country robbing and stealing from people who are at work. Crime shouldn't pay. Uh, So we need to keep these guys busy. They have too much time in their hands. That's what's wrong. And that's why we have so much rural crime. And actually we'll also touch on, on an issue that Every week, on a regular basis, I suppose, I don't know whether it's the time of the year that it happens, but we get calls in from people living in rural areas who are fearful of gangs who go out lamping for rabbits and hares and going out with lurcher dogs. And there's always been the thought by some that they do it as a cover, that they bring out their lurcher dogs and they're out there and if they're stopped by the Gardaí or if they're stopped by landowners, what are you doing? Oh, we're out hunting rabbits, we're out hunting hares. That's what we're doing. We're getting rid of vermin and, you know, we're actually doing a, a bit of service to the area by what they're doing. And they see it as a sport. And everyone sees it as a sport, but those involved, involved do see it as a sport. Now, some people very genuinely, it's a hobby for them and they're doing it as a hobby and they're not in any way involved in crime. But there are others believe that these there are some gangs will go out under the pretense that they're lamping for rabbits and out hunting. And actually what they're doing is they're casing an area and that frightens people and that you know people who are already nervous when they see a gang like that come and come onto their land without any permission can get very very afraid by that so we'll look at that uh, topic as well on the programme today. Should the council ban all gaming arcades? Whenever gaming arcades come before planning at the council in an area there will always be objection. I don't think I've ever seen a gaming arcade planning permission go before the council without local people saying no we don't want this and councillors themselves representing an area will say that they don't want it so there's one part of the one municipal district in the area has decided to go a step further and they want the council executive to look into introducing a bylaw whereby they will completely ban gaming arcades so it will mean they won't have to deal with planning permissions coming before them because nobody will be able to apply for a gaming arcade in this municipal district and I just have a sneaking feeling that if we get one municipal district to introduce this you can put money on it, pardon the pun, you, that other municipal districts will follow suit. And I think other areas of the country, if it hasn't already been done, from what we can gather, it hasn't been done anywhere else. So we'll discuss that on the programme today. Ireland's first air ambulance. And I, when I came in this morning, one of my first WhatsApps that was in from Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, a massive congratulations to John Carney and all associated with him on the arrival of the first 
Irish Community Air Ambulance last Friday. Patricia, we will now have to turn our immediate attention to fundraising at every angle to retain this voluntary service, which is a badly needed service in this country, especially in the extremes of rural Ireland. It's either support it or lose it. And nobody wants to see that happen, uh, says uh, Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown there. Thank you for that, Michael. And I know you've been a great supporter of this community air ambulance. So you must have been thrilled last Friday as well. And I was, I have to say, we will be talking with John Carney later on this morning. And when I heard this story break on Friday, my thoughts were with uh, John Carney and saying, God, this I no doubt was a very emotional day uh, for John. It is at least 10 years when that John Carney has been fighting for this particular air ambulance and out fundraising and out speaking at every available opportunity. He was the first one to suggest the notion of an air ambulance. And one of my questions to him will be, when he started this campaign, did he ever think it was going to take 10 years to get it off the ground? But off the ground it is, the air ambulance has arrived. So we're going to talk about it and celebrate the fact that it, it has arrived in the area this morning on the programme. It's just tinged, though, with a little bit of bad news in that, and it's making the papers again today, the fact that it's not going to be a doctor-led service. And I know from day one, when it was suggested that we had an air ambulance for the area, the dream always always had been that it would be doctor-led. But anyway, the HSE are saying, no, it certainly initially isn't going to be doctor-led. So at this stage now, is just to get it up into the air and get it working and get it uh, saving lives as it will. But I know the Irish Community Rapid Response Group, who are, who are the charity, who are dedicated to pre-hospital care and who will be running the air ambulance in association with the HSC, the National Ambulance Service. They certainly will continue the campaign to get it doctor-led. And there's a piece in the paper today say, saying that uh, flying doctors from around the world have raised safety fears about the air ambulance without a doctor on board and it's an open letter it's been signed by 22 helicopter emergency medical service experts from the United States from Australia who are probably one of the first countries to introduce flying doctors New Zealand Canada and Norway and they've all pointed out that the new service which will be paramedic led rather than having a doctor uh, on uh, board uh, there will be they are worried that there will be safety issues because of that because across the world most of those air ambulances are doctor led and it's only right and proper that we should have if that is best practice then that is what we should should have here as well. So we'll discuss that. Annalise Dressel will join us from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic for nutritional advice and Paddy Parma will join us in the final hour of the programme looking back to the weekend that was from a sports point of view. Your thoughts and comments welcome throughout the morning. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your texts coming into the programme on crime. I had a break in a few years ago, says a texter, very upsetting. Even now, it's very upsetting for me. I reported it and the guard, they did come out and they did their job. But what most, what I was most annoyed about afterwards was the guards never as much as phoned to inquire as to how we were coping afterwards. Um, I wonder, did they give you a little card with victim support's number on? Victim support are fantastic for that. And if you are still upset and worried about that particular 
awful and to have a break in just must be to know that somebody has been in your home and your private space and touching your things it must be one of the most upsetting things to go through but I would suggest contacting Victim Support they are a wonderful organisation and they certainly will follow up and uh, will always be there for you and will be checking up on you afterwards to make sure that you are okay and someone else isn't that happy with the Gardaí saying it's not the fact that there are not enough Gardaí on the beach they don't always do what they're meant to do says a texter I was assaulted two years ago and my statement was taken from me and I was told there would be a court date but the case has never been called and when I questioned it the Garda who had taken my statement said he hadn't done anything about it yet I'm still waiting to hear back and that's over two years ago 1850 Some of your calls coming in I mentioned that it's going to be nice and mild towards the end of this week which we're looking forward to well it must be confusing the swallows slightly because Kevin in Court Mac says last Saturday which was the 22nd of September Kevin said I was in Court McSherry and I counted up to 20 swallows over the water now they were flying around mad I was out for a spin yesterday in the Domanway area and still plenty of swallows in the area so they haven't all left the area yet and if we have nice mild weather they might hang around for another few days at yet and can we wish the very best of luck to everybody involved in the Tidy Towns competition they're off to they're on the journey to Dublin today the overall results of best tidy towns in Ireland are going to be announced so fingers crossed for all of the local towns and villages who put so much work into keeping their areas tidy and clean and out litter picking and I've said it if you're a regular listener you'll know to me the unsung heroes of all of our communities are the Tidy Towns volunteers because they are out there picking up other people's dirt and uh, fair juice to them they are an amazing bunch of people and this is their day to shine so the best of luck to all of the local groups and actually just staying on that theme a listener has contacted us to say Patricia would you would you please don't mention my name um, but would you raise this issue on your programme on Monday morning? I'm currently renting in the Mallow area and there is a local residence committee in the estate where I live. And recently they came knocking on all of the doors looking for money for maintenance of the area. Now, as we're only renting the house, it didn't state, there was obviously a note handed in, it didn't state, oh sorry, it didn't state in our rental contract that we must pay it. But I'm now questioning if our landlord refuses to pay it, is it a compulsory payment as a tenant in the house that we must pay? Would any of your listeners be able to tell me, please, um, can residents, groups or committees demand money from a tenant? In our area, the green area, the grass gets cut, but I don't see anything else being done in the estate out of the money. Thanking you. Well, I can I can only personally speak from the residents association where I live and we collect money every year in order to cut the green areas. The green area was one green area that we have. The green area was always cut by the council. But as we know, a number of years ago, the council stopped cutting the green areas in all, am I right in saying all, private estates and left it up to individual groups, residents themselves to to cut it. So in our area, there's 26 houses in, in our little estate, we all got together and we all chipped in and we have a contract and the grass gets cut and it's great. Nobody's forced to pay the money. It's just you're asked to do it. Now, I certainly know, and I'm only speaking from my estate, I know in my estate some of the landlords who rent their properties pay. 
I also know of one person who is renting, who pays the money themselves as well. But you no, know, but you can't be forced to pay. And not everybody, not all houses pay it. You can't be forced. Even people that live living in the houses don't pay. So no, nobody can force you uh, to pay the money. But, uh, you know, I would say to you, you're living in an area with your neighbours and it's great to have the grass cut. And if there's children playing, that green area is so important to the children. I mean, it, we're, in it, the green area, my estate... It backs onto my house, so I don't even see the green. I can't, don't even see the grass, and I don't have smallies that go out and play on that green area. But what I love to hear, I absolutely love to sit in my back garden and in this on the fine summer weather that we had and that wonderful heat wave, to hear the children kicking football and playing and squeeze of laughter. There is no nicer sound. And if that grass wasn't cut and was left overgrown, how unsightly it, it would look. So I, I would just say to you, and it usually isn't a huge sum of money but if you have a particular issue as to why you don't want to pay it or you can't afford to pay it I accept that there will be families who can't afford to pay it but there's no residence committee can force you to pay the money but check in with your landlord because your landlord may very well decide uh, to do it for for your sake and for all of the other people living in that area to keep the the, the grass uh, cut and uh, the area nice and uh, clean. 1850-333-103 and I've just been told if there's any Met- Metallica fans listening there to play Slane uh, next year for 2019. So Metallica fans... Get your leather jackets ready. You're heading to Slay next year. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. C103. Join Martina O'Donoghue for drive time. Weekdays from four. Patricia Messenger on C103. Nominated for Speech Broadcaster of the Year at the 2018 IMRO Radio Awards. Now, last week, Gardaí reacted angrily to a directive from the new Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, to cut discretionary overtime. Commissioner Harris wants spending reduced by 30% by the end of the year. His announcement came as one farming organisation claimed rural crime was like a war zone. Seamus Sherlock of the ICSA uh, joins me. He is the Rural Development Chairman. Good morning to you, Seamus. Uh, good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Mo- Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the pro- programme. Now, you regularly address meetings all over the country. Does the issue of rural crime, does it often get mentioned? Actually, Patricia, it gets mentioned at every single meeting. That's the amazing thing about it. Even though it wouldn't be on the agenda, coming near the end of the meetings, we'd open the meetings to the floor and rural crime is always brought up. Do you believe it's underreported? I do, unfortunately. As you probably know or are aware, ICSA, in conjunction with Watford IT, commissioned a crime survey over the last two years. And a high percentage of people that were interviewed said that, they, you know, if the robbery was small or the intimidation was small, that they would consider not bothering the Gardaí by reporting it. And we, com- we think that's completely wrong. We believe every single crime must be reported to the Gardaí. Yeah, because we'll get statistics from the Gardaí saying, oh, there's a decrease in crime. And it's funny, whenever we're talking about that or discussing that on the programme, we will hear from people to say, oh, well, I had a break in or it's something stolen. And sure, I just I knew there was no, no point reporting it. So therefore, that crime doesn't get added into the figures. 
That's right. And to be honest with you, I suppose the reason it's coming up now is we're facing into the winter again, unfortunately. As you're well aware, the evenings are closing in already. And a lot of older, more vulnerable people would be talking to ICSA and talking to me. And they really would be fearful of the winter ahead. You know, there's this thing about the summer, the long evening. Farmers are working around the fields and everybody's kind of out and about. But come the winter, you know, people are kind of closing up for the winter. Older people are staying in more. And a lot of people are saying, God, they dread the winter. And I think that's wrong. And I think that's where communities come into play and we must all help each other and look after our most vulnerable. And it's not just theft of items that we're talking about here. Some of these robberies and some lately that got press and media attention are quite violent. Yes, unfortunately. I was very honoured to be a guest speaker at the Plough Match last week in Tullamore on this very issue. And there was a farmer sitting beside me from North County Dublin and I'm sure you and your listeners would have heard him on the media in the last week. He was attacked because he asked people to leave his farm. They had some kind of lurcher dogs and they were upsetting his cattle. And he just went out innocently and asked them to, you know, round up their dogs and take them away. And unfortunately, he alleged that he was beaten quite severely. And I mean, I think that's appalling that, you know, we now have farmers who are literally being threatened on their own land. So it's more Gardaí on the streets and in patrol cars that we need, not less. Well, yes, but I think also, and I think by talking to the Gardaí, there's a huge frustration there. Gardaí are spending too much time behind the desk. All those men and women, you know, they all join the Gardaí to protect and to serve. But they're spending more and more hours, I'm led to believe, sitting behind the desk. And I think that's so wrong because those men and women want to be out. They want to be protecting the community and they certainly want to be protecting the more vulnerable in our community. And they can't do that, Patricia, if they're spending large hours every week in a, in, behind the desk, you know, in an office somewhere. So what are you suggesting? Put civilians in to do a lot of that admin work that yes. the Gardaí get bogged down with? Yes, and get these brave men and women out on the roads. Because let's be honest, we can't expect the Garda to be at everybody's house at night protecting them but I think rural communities as well I speak a good bit about this I think you know we all should contact our elderly neighbours and just say there's our phone number look at God forbid if you're awake at three in the morning and there's a dog barking or you're worried give us a ring and we'll contact the Gardaí as well and you know communities can help a lot of the older people Patricia a lot of older people work very hard all their lives and I think it's a crying shame if they're living in fear in the twilight years of their life. Ah, oh, it's shocking. Know? It's shocking. I but, do, but I mean, don't we have um, community alerts and text alert systems already in operation quite do, successfully? We do quite successfully, but I think we can do more. And I think community policing comes into it. We all remember, you know, we're never going to get back to the stage where there's going to be a Garda station in every village. That's gone. But we all remember when we had the local Garda he'd probably be training or she'd be training the local football team or the hurling team. And they knew everybody that was in the parish, but more importantly, they knew the people that shouldn't be in the parish. And I think those men and women worked way beyond their hours. I mean, I'm speaking to Gardy at the moment, and they're working huge hours. They don't even get paid for the extra hours because there's things they need to look into around the villages and parishes and that. And I think we as a community have to support those men and women as much as possible. It's not going to be an easy, it's not going to be a quick fix. But everything we do will help. And I think reporting of every crime, no matter how small, that's the key. 
Gardaí cannot solve a crime if they don't know what happened. But then to hear the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris saying cut overtime, does that worry you? Oh, it absolutely does. And I think it's, um, I, you know, I, I really don't know where he's coming from on that because, let's be honest, there's not half enough Gardaí on the ground. And maybe if we had more Gardaí on the ground, they mightn't have to do as much overtime. You know, we all hear of the numbers of Gardaí that's coming out simple more. But they never talk about all the men and women that's retiring. And there is a seemingly, you know, a lot of Gardaí retiring in the last number of years. And we never hear those figures. Mm. So, you know, look, at I'm not here to criticise the commissioner. And I met the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, in the last couple of months. We were very straight talking. We told him our concerns. We told him our members' concerns. And he said he'd come back to us and try put some kind of a plan together that we could all work together. And to be honest with you, we need it. And we need it now because... In the next two months, we're going to be back into the winter. And we don't want to see our elderly people living in fear. I think that's appalling. And I think we have to do everything in our power to help those men and women have, you know, peace in their own homes. What are your views, Seamus, on farmers using legally held firearms to defend themselves? Oh, I wouldn't agree with it at all. I mean, to be honest with you, I spoke about this at the ploughing. It's all well and good saying, oh, sure, I'll bring out the shotgun. But how many people genuinely... Patricia would be able to cope with the, with the aftermath if, God forbid, to pull that trigger. Mm. I mean, I know a lot of men are, wouldn't even shoot a fox that fire over his head. They wouldn't like to even shoot the fox, not to mention shoot another human being. I think the aftermath of that would be catastrophic. And I think it's okay having the shotgun in the house. And for God's sake, you know, maybe fired into the air or something. But certainly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with anybody running out with a loaded shotgun. Okay. Maybe you'd be driven to it with fear or something, but it certainly wouldn't be something we'd endorse in ICSA. Yeah, that's always the, the that's always a worry I would have that somebody would react in fear and you know, they hear a noise, they're, they're very afraid, they pick up the shotgun and they shoot someone and God it could be a neighbour or a family member. Well, even oh. if it was a criminal, uh, you know, I know a lot of men as I said already that feel sorry if they have to shoot a fox. Yeah, I know. Not to mention another human. And we have to think of the after effect and the mental health issues. And mm. as well as that, remember, the farmer is not the criminal. It's the, it's the buys out breaking into the shed that are actually the criminal. And I wouldn't like to see any landowner or house owner being turned into a criminal. You mentioned that case of that poor farmer in County Dublin asking the guys, the, the gang with the lurcher dogs, uh, to get off the land and then he got really, really badly assaulted. We often get calls, uh, Seamus, from people in rural areas worried about gangs out with lurcher dogs and lamping and, and hunting for, yeah. for rabbits. Um, are, are people right to be concerned or is this just a tradition that some people do and it's a hobby and to leave them alone, they're doing no harm? Well, unfortunately... I think in the older generations it was a hobby and leave them alone and do no harm. But we see in ICSA more and more farmers telling us now that these gangs of people are coming on, they're leaving gates open, they're letting stock out onto the roads, they're breaking down fences, and the dogs are chasing stock at night, chasing sheep, pregnant joes and that. I mean, that's totally unacceptable. Because at the end of the day, Patricia, it's the farmers' livelihood we're talking about here. And we're also talking about the safety of road users. If gates are being left open and herds of cattle are being let out in roads in the middle of the night. That can only lead to serious problems. So we would be very conscious of that, and we would be asking people, you know, to start behaving responsibly here. 
do not be going into farmers' yards without asking them permission. If they ask the farmer, and the farmer will probably say, okay, you can hunt in that field, that field, or whatever. But, you know, these men and women deserve to be treated with respect. They're trying to make a living. God knows farming is tough enough as it is. And the last thing you want to do is get up in the morning and see that your stock was worried and drove through fences and gates left open and fences knocked down. And I believe fences even being cut. You know, that's totally unacceptable, Patricia, because at the end of the day, it's the farmer has to pick up the pieces. And then farm families themselves, can they do more to make their farms safer with better security? Definitely. And the couple of common sense things, okay, CCT is very expensive. I appreciate that. But if you could afford it, get the proper CCTV that will actually work at night as well. Proper locks. And, you know, we're getting to a stage, unfortunately, Patricia, where every farmer now has to be security conscious. They have to have a proper shed or a lockup that they can put all their valuable, including the quad bike, into it with a proper lock. The day of leaving the gate opened and the yard opened and gone off down the field, that day is unfortunately gone. I wish it wasn't, but it is gone. And everybody now has to have proper gates and proper locks. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's awkward, but we have to protect our property because at the end of the day, Patricia, we all hear about the stuff that was stolen, but some farmer paid for that and then he has to turn around and buy it a second time. So, you know, we have to get security conscious. And I still believe communities are the way forward on this. If we all stand together, we certainly will help the Gardaí to fight this terrible crime. OK, listen, Seamus, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this thank morning. You very much. Good morning to you. Seamus Sherlock there, who is the Regional Development Chairman with the ICSA on Rural Crime. 1850-333-103. Your thoughts are welcomed across the morning, please. And Pat was on two people who appeared on TV over the weekend. Pat's not that happy about the first was Theresa May. He said, watch Theresa May on our TV screens over the weekend demanding respect. Pat says you earn respect. You don't demand it, which she or her government has done. The cheek of her to say she won't see her country divided. It seems okay for her to divide other countries, but she doesn't want hers divided now. And then we had Micheál Martin, who wouldn't talk about Fianna Fáil's past He says we shouldn't live in the past and yet the very mention of Sinn Féin and he's straight on about their past. What uh, arrogance some of our politicians are, says Pat. Not happy with that was Micheál Martin that was the interviews on the late late, wasn't he? And uh, Theresa May demanding respect. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. The Charleville Formoy Municipal District could become the first council in the country to ban the setting up of gaming arcades in its jurisdiction. To find out more, I'm joined by uh, Councillor Kay Dawson. Good morning to you, Kay. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Is there always strong opposition to gaming arcades opening in towns by both local people and indeed members of the council? I suppose there's mixed views in it like anything, Patricia. But Mitch Stone would have had a very strong history of it because if you if you look back to what's now twenty years ago now, they would have actually invoked that the Gambling Lanterns Act would not apply to the town of Mitchstone and it was carried by full council back um oh, in the eighties. So so it was strongly felt at that time it was a casino that was about to open in the town 
and they um, put it before full council and it was passed at that time that the Gambling Lotteries Act would not apply to Mitchton, the town. But that's just the town itself. And, and that, that was just the town. And, and so Formoy Town has a similar bylaw, doesn't and it? Formoy had the bylaw that was brought in by town council. And that still but, stands? And that still stands. But if you, if, if you look at where the town council was in Formoy, that doesn't mean the whole of Formoy. And hence the reason right. you could apply for a casino on the outskirts of Formoy, which happened. That's, that's what happened, yeah. And, and do, men, it, do many... Do you, I suppose where it's complicated then is if you're planning for it, that's a different issue from when you apply for the licence to run it as that, um, and, um, as a gambling is not a venue, do you know what I mean? Mm. Am I making sense? You go before the courts for that part. That's separate uh, to the yeah, but you need to you need to have planning for the building first. For the building, yeah, and we're not quite sure that that's grey. We haven't got full answers back yet as to whether you grant planning while the act exists. Yeah, it is a kind of a legal uh, quandary, all right, to to yeah. as to where what actually fully covers the yeah. gaming ar- ar- arcade. And do many planning applications for gaming arcades come before the council? Well, you, well, you see, it'd be, it'd be very different if, if you were a town like Yall where you have um, um, a seaside town or, you know, you're, you're going to have those 1M machines. Um, they're going to exist um, and, and be wanted. Do you know what I mean? It's part of the layout of the seaside. It's very different gambling than, I, I suppose, the casino style. Of course, if you introduce a bylaw that would cover the whole of the county, it would, yeah, yeah. seaside towns, and, yeah. And, and we'll say they, they exist in some towns, so then where would you be? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, so, so it's like anything that's, that you're looking for or, or thinking about doing, um, it, it, it's more complicated than just um, to blanket anything. It, it, it's quite a challenge, do you know? Because other places might might be quite happy to have it in their area. But generally speaking, in towns, nobody wants a gaming arcade because of the addictive I, I, nature. I, I, th- I think it's a fear around um, what, people losing money, maybe um, that they haven't got, yeah. or that, that whole gambling culture. Um, that, that there's just strong views on 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 that. I suppose where I was coming from wasn't so much. The, the strong views that it was that something existed when, it, when, when I was arguing against it for, for Midgestown it was this existed and how were we going down the road of allowing it to come in if we had a bylaw that didn't allow it So it's the, the legal bit now has been looked at is it more than anything? Yes yeah. the, and, and as far as we can see I went back on the records of the, the records of all Cork County Council meetings are held inside in the city and I gave two days going trawling through the minutes of meetings going back in the council. <laughs> that was quite find. tedious. Yes. But it was actually fascinating. It was it was amazing that a lot of the issues that were coming up were coming up at council meetings twenty years ago. There was there's road issues and different things that are still as prevalent today as they were back then when county councils were fighting from then. Housing? Um, um housing not as much. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and it? there was an awful lot about sheep dipping. Which was we don't want to come across now, you know. <laughs> so there were some things that were different, but it was it was fascinating to go back over all the old minutes of council meetings because their the books come out and you you you're going through like ledgers. It's not digitised or anything, um, and you're just reading every meeting to see what came up at those meetings until I found where they. And you did, and you did find it. 
And you yes. did find it. Okay, yes. well yes. done. Well, well done. Yes. Um, okay, and just uh, today you're about to go into a council meeting and today is the day that Cork County Council decide if they're going to give a nomination to an upcoming presidential candidate. There's only one name now, isn't there, up for discussion? There is, and, and, and I can't... Not that I'm not willing to give you an answer, but the Finchel meeting is going on at the moment, and I missed it. I talk to you, and I don't know what our position on it is yet. So I need to go back into that meeting okay. before we go into full council to, to see where we stand. And it's it's the journalist Gemma O'Doherty, isn't it? Because yes. who yes. was the other who who was the other nominee that that spoke in Cork County Council? Oh, we had three or four came before. Oh, did you? Ago. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. they've withdrawn. Their, they've either got the nod already, or they've they withdrawn. Got the nod since okay, and they were able to withdraw. You know, they, they didn't need it. Okay, yeah. do you know what yeah. time we expect an announcement from Cork County uh, Council? Well, full council meeting starts at eleven, yeah. and it's down on the agenda for that. We've actually we've RTE here this morning, um, televising some of it live for women in politics. I think. Will it be one of the first things to be discussed? Do you think? Um, how about I come out and I ring you back when I have an answer? Would you? Would you? Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, you you can, you can be our reporter today, Kay. Listen, thank you for that. And thank you for We'll let talk. you back into the meeting. Take Thanks. Care. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. That is uh, uh, Mitchellstown-based uh, councillor Kay uh, Dawson on the gaming arcade issue, but also ahead of that meeting uh, to see will Cork County Council endorse the journalist Gemma O'Doherty. She doesn't have an endorsement yet, but her name is before Cork County Council and it's also before Galway, Leash, Kildare and uh, Sligo. They're all set to meet today because, of course, she has to have her name in by Wednesday of this week. So let's see, uh, will she get her first nomination and will it come from Cork County Council? You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And there is somebody asking me to play a request for a special dad whose birthday is today and I'm told is an avid listener to C103 and has been for a long time. Tony Walsh, Gary No in for Moy. Happy birthday to you, Tony. Love and best wishes from June and Danny, Michelle and Mark. And the message is, have a great day, Dad. So I hope you're having, enjoying your special day. Tony Walsh, Gary No in for Moy. We were speaking about rural crime and reporting to the Gardaí and how important it is to report to the Gardaí, but not everybody gets satisfaction when they report to the Gardaí. Sean says, my car trailer was stolen from the Anglers Rest Car Park in Carrigohan. I did reported to the Gardaí and the Gardaí told me they would check up the CCTV. They looked at the CCTV from the area and said yes they could see Sean leaving the trailer. That was all on the CCTV but then the cameras packed up and that was the end of it. I haven't been contacted since since said uh, Sean which seems really unfortunate indeed that the CCTV shows Sean parking the trailer and then for whatever reason doesn't decide to work so it never picks up who actually stole Sean's trailer. And Sean, obviously, then at the loss of the trailer. 1850 C103 Jobs. Embroidery operator is required for the Mitchellstown area. Previous experience not essential as training is to be provided. Griffin's Garden Centre, they are looking for till operators. You must be able to work midweek and have previous experience. And the Blue Haven Hotel in Kinsale, they're looking for a night porter for three to four nights per week. 
previous experience and bar experience, uh, please. And Hickey Scaffolding have positions available for scaffolders, labourers and PVC fitters. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. C103. Join Nick Richards for Cork's greatest hits each weekday at lunchtime. Patricia Messenger on C103. Nominated for Speech Broadcaster of the Year at the 2018 IMRO Radio Awards. Now, last Friday, Ireland's first community air ambulance funded by charity arrived in Kerry Airport and is expected to be operational within the next month. The air ambulance has been the dream of John Carney for the past decade and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you doing? Uh, well, you're welcome to the programme. And I have to say, when I heard that the air ambulance was arriving on Friday, I, I thought of you immediately and said, my God, this has been such a long journey for you and a long, a long dream, something that you dreamt about for at least 10 years. Did you ever expect when you first floated the idea that it would take 10 years? Um, I suppose, Patricia, it, it it was difficult to say. Um, I, I it was very hard to measure how long it would take. But I suppose the beauty is that what we have in Cork and this part of the region is a fantastic resource, which is called stubbornness, <laughs> and um, the persistence of that. It, you know, it certainly was exciting. It was an, a great milestone last Friday to bring it over here finally after such a long journey. And even it, that journey, the journey has been fantastic from getting the first rapid response doctor on route, on, on there to 200 doctors throughout the country that are volunteering for us now. Um, that was all part of the journey. So this, this is an extra add-on to the journey, which is fantastic. And we're quite excited with this. Um, and I suppose the next thing, the training is starting on Monday, um, or today, I should say, and it's going live in, in possibly four weeks, and we'll be taking it throughout the region and I'd certainly um, love to see you in Mallow when we bring it to Mallow. Well, and, um, and we can't wait for the day that you bring it to Mallow, I'll tell you that now. Take me back, though, John, to how the idea and why the idea for it and where it first came from. I suppose, Patricia, you know, it, 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 unfortunately, these um, things, they can be fairly traumatic. And there was a part of the country, and I, I don't want to name it, um, but... There was a young girl, and her last words were, Mammy, I don't want to die. And that really moved me. That really, I knew the people in question. It broke, it broke them. And that's due to the time delay. It took that young girl to get her to hospital. And ever since then, that was a motivational factor for setting up the rapid response. And obviously evolving that to where we are with the air ambulance. And I suppose, it's certainly, I live in West Cork. I have a young family. We certainly would, you know, we would, in a times of emergency, time is key critical. And I'll give you one example of a specific type of emergency. If, if the child, um, they might need to go to the nearest hospital. It might, be to, it might be to Dublin. So obviously we know about the challenges to the service that's already up and running. And look, with our service, that's, that's going to, not, Dublin isn't a problem. It, it's well within an hour for us. Now, the biggest thing is this service is great, but it's complementary to the great work the National 
National Ambulance Service already doing, and it'll be great to have it run with the staffing from the um, National Ambulance Service, which is mirror image of the, the helicopter they have in Athlone, which has been up and running five years and has done really, really good work. So outline how you see the service operating. The service will operate um, seven days a week. Um, it'll be based in Rathcoole and North Cork. The rationale for that is that it's a better location. Cork Airport was, we looked at it originally, but if you do the circuits around Cork Airport, uh, the ring range, most of it's over water. So priority would be to get it the best coverage area, and Rathcoole does that for us. Um, so we brought into Kerry because Kerry's the closest to Rathcoole, and we'll move it in on to Rathcoole in the next coming week when the training's up and running. But when a call comes in, 999 call comes in, it goes through to a, a desk in Tala, and they dispatched in the helicopter to the resource. And I've seen these guys operate in the UK, the same uh, operation called Blown Helicopters was a provider. And I've, from the time they got that call to the time they're in the air, it was less than three minutes. And, that, and they sit there seven days a week waiting for that life or death emergency that they need to reply, go to. So it's the ambulance service will make the decision this call requires the air ambulance. Exactly. It'll be the same as the 999 call, call system, Patricia. Um, and the costs um, around it, um, going forward, who covers the costs? That's, that's a very good one. In fairness, I suppose, look, our priority as a charity was to get it there. We, in fairness, the fundraising that was happened in West Cork over the last um, two, three years intensely and throughout the region um, for um, the Air Ambulance has been phenomenal. The people have had faith in us, they bought into it, um, they supported us. We've got it there. Now, the biggest thing is to keep it there. And yes, the cost is, people said, two million is a lot of money. What price do you put on life? Mm. And remember, this thing does four or five hundred calls a year. That's four or five hundred families, four or five hundred communities impacted by this. Being honest, it's a small cost for the impact it'll make. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be challenging. And this is not our helicopter. This is everyone's helicopter. It's a community. And it's, it's up to the community now to take ownership and to keep it there and support it. So my biggest thing is we'll be looking whether a person can run a coffee morning, a cycle, or whatever. It's whatever people can do first, it's important. And we're starting our tour next Friday, and we're going around the region for the next four weeks before it goes live um, to do the Fuel for Life campaign. And the Fuel for Life campaign is quite simple, really. It needs fuel to stay in the air. Um, it costs approximately 150000 a year to keep that, keep that in the air. And that's, that's the most important thing in, in our radar now next over the next four or five weeks, is to get that resource, keep it there. And yes, it, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there'll be hard work. But look, when this goes live within the first four weeks, we'll be hearing good news stories. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what happens with services like this? I mean, I, I, I see it with other uh, similar services that are run by charities. When a family gets helped out by the service, you'll find afterwards they'll be the very ones who will go off and do some fundraising and there'll be fundraising events popping up all over the place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, Patricia, you know, you've been fantastically supportive, um, be supportive um, um, over, the, over the, the 10 years and we, when, when we started this journey. And one or three, look, it originated in West Cork and you were fantastic support. And 
I look forward to bringing that Mallow to show it to all, you know, um, the people in question and take the whole region um, and show people what this can do. And this is, this is it's exciting. It is an exciting time. Yes, it has taken a long time, uh, but at the same time, it, it's there. Okay, and and I, I don't want, I don't want to put a downer on it, but the only sort of negative and and criticism of it at the moment, and and I know your initial plan was also to ha- was always to have this as a doctor led uh, air ambulance. We now know it's not happening. We read in the paper today the open letter signed by the twenty two helicopter emergency medical service experts from across the world, uh, who were saying it needs to be doctor led. Yeah, that's a good point, Patricia. I suppose. Look, um, from our perspective. Um, Yes, it was, it, it'd be always, you know, my vision to, to get to that level because, look, we have 200 doctors currently volunteering for us. Um, but I suppose where we are being realistic right now, um, we need to get it up and running with, with the extending of the current service and at loan as well. So my point, in, in a short period of time, um, it's the National Ambulance Service and Department of Health that provides the staffing and the clinical oversight for us. The charity we provide, the helicopter, the pilot, the fuel and, and the logistics. Um, and we, we've done that. Now, to evolve that, in fairness, the Department of Health have said, and the, Department, and the National Amateur, that they, they will look at evolving this. But I suppose, look, personally, my feeling is that, you know, on this journey, um, I, I certainly strive for the best within it. But we have to be realistic. Currently, Patricia, it's, it's on the paper today, there's a big shortage of consultants in the hospitals currently in Ireland. I'd welcome all those overseas um, doctors to come back and man our hospitals first and foremost and, and certainly come in and the air ambulance as well, to be perfectly honest, in, in time. But that's a decision for the Department of Health and the National Ambulance Service uh, as our partners. Our, our, our priority as a, as a charity is to get the air ambulance here, which we did, and is to keep it here. Yeah. No, nothing, nothing will take the shine off that, that, that's for sure. Because, John, are we very much behind other countries when it comes to an air ambulance service? Um, look, Athlone has been very good, but if you take Wales next door, they have 3 million people. Um, they have approximately, it's one third the size of Ireland, and they have three helicopters. Oh. But in fairness, they, they've been up and running 15 years, and we have to remember, like, all the ones in the UK, Scotland and Wales and everything, they all originated as a paramedic-led model, and okay. they evolved. Do you know what I mean? And, like, you know, even though People keep saying to me, you need to walk before you can run. You know, I always kind of run. But <laughs> at the same time, um, it, we, look, being where I am, in fairness, having this partnership that we're developing with the National Amazon Partner Health is exciting. It's, it's evolving. It, it's a big evolution. As, as of last Thursday, we had no air ambulance in, dedicated in the South. We got it in on Friday. In four weeks' time, that's going live. That's the reality. You know what I mean? That's the reality we hadn't got before and I think that's an advancement we shouldn't underestimate because the frontline people do a really good job the ambulances currently don't have doctors they do a great job do you know what I mean so we're extending that and let's evolve over time you know and, and, and I think certainly that will happen quicker than we think Okay somebody wants to know when and where will the air ambulance be touring? Um, we, if you look on our Facebook we, we, we'll share it up on our Facebook um, page Okay um, it, we, we, We'll be touring every county Okay. Um, we'll be going to every county. I don't have the full list, but I think this, Patricia, in the four weeks, which is going to be quite busy, it's going to be 48 uh, locations um, in Munster and South Leinster. And as I said, this is primarily, you know, this will be exciting for the Southwest, especially since the evolution of the 
comfort. Um, and it, it's there, finally, which is, which is great. And it will save lives and it will change people's lives uh, forever, that's for sure. And just very finally, John, was, was Friday an emotional day for you? Um, <laughs> people can say to me it is emotional. Patricia, my little emotion day is the night before it goes live. I have a, <clears throat> I have a small bottle that I'm going to consume and I'll probably be the first, first patient in the morning to be taken to the hospital, you know what I mean, out of all the journey in, in this. So, um, uh, that's, it, 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 it's a milestone. Last Friday was a milestone. And I think when it goes live as well, will be a fantastic. Once we see this going out, doing what it, it, it should do, impacting lives, I think that, you know, it, one life will be worth it all. Yeah. Never mind, okay. go on doing it all the time. Well, listen, well done. And I, I know you would say you have a, a very strong team behind you, and I know you have, but uh, you have been uh, the, the brains, and this has been your baby and your dream from day one, and you've got to be complimented uh, and uh, congratulated for it, John. So well done, well done, and we, we look forward to seeing you in Mallow soon. Patricia, thank you very much. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, John Carney on our first community air ambulance. It is, it's a remarkable achievement. And well done. John is right. And particularly people in West Cork, they really bought into this from day one when people were out with flag days and coffee mornings and, and they were to the forefront of getting the money together in order to get this air ambulance and to have it here in uh, Cork. But well, that is John Carney of the Irish Community Rapid response and long may the likes of John and the other volunteers continue. 1850 lines open. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. And she is a Cy Patricia Rathbarian District Vintage Club would like to thank all who supported their annual tractor, car and motorcycle run which was held yesterday. Proceeds will go to CUH Charity for Paediatrics cystic fibrosis uh, thanking everybody who turned out and supported says Sheila Hayes and Sheila Hayes thank you for sending that text in to acknowledge everybody that helped out and what a great day it was it wasn't yesterday a peach of a day weather wise because Saturday was such a miserable day that it was great to see the sun shining yesterday and I was thinking of all those involved at the McCroom Food Festival because we'd been in McCroom on Friday morning and it had been lovely there would have been sunny periods a little bit of rain and drizzle but overall it was a nice sunny morning and obviously the big artisan outdoor food festival happens on the Sunday of the McCroom Food Festival weekend and I was thinking of them oh please God let it be a fine day for them and Saturday was so miserable terrific then to see how good it was yesterday um, and by all accounts it was a great day had by all and Mary in Bantry contacted us to say would we thank everybody involved with the McCroom Food Festival she did the taste trail on Saturday which I think is a terrific idea on behalf of the festival organisers you buy these tickets and I think it's three euro a ticket and then you literally eat your way around uh, the town they're quite substantial portions so really for 12 euro you could probably have a, a decent four course meal by working your way around all of the different places that are taking part in the taste trade anything, anyone that's doing anything to do with food you can go and get uh, something uh, and then move on to the next place if you start or move on for your mains and then have your um, 
your dessert and then maybe have your coffee afterwards somewhere else. Lovely, lovely idea. Anyway, Mary and Banter decided to do that. She did the taste trail on Saturday and what a great day she said we have. What she had. She wants to particularly compliment the Castle Hotel in McCroom on their carvery. And you pick the right place to go for a carvery because, of course, we discovered on Friday morning that they won. They are the All-Ireland Carvery, the best carvery in all of Ireland. They won that competition. We'd been celebrating the fact that they had the win for Munster and then they went through not realising they were going through to an All-Ireland aspect part of the competition and they won it. So the best, if you want to know what the best carvery in Ireland is like, you need to go to the Castle Hotel uh, in uh, McCroom and that's where Mary was. She also saw Crystal Swing in the Marquee in the Square and the one thing she said that really stood out for her on her visit to McCroom on Saturday was the friendliness of the people. She said everywhere she went and everybody she met, they were all so friendly. She said they ended up in a lovely bar called Golden's. And again, people in there couldn't have been more friendly. So she wants to say well done to everybody involved in the McCroom Food uh, Festival. And uh, by all accounts, lots and lots of people turned out, which I am delighted to hear because those festivals, so much time and effort is put into those festivals and we really need to a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com to support them. So good to know that that's what our Mary in Bantry did. Breaking news coming from Cork County Council. We mentioned earlier when we were speaking with Councillor Kay Dawson that uh, Cork County Council were going to vote today on a resolution whether or not to endorse the journalist Gemma O'Doherty as a candidate in the upcoming presidential election. She was the only name before the council. Others had approached Cork County Council but they either got nominated or they pulled out of the race. So Gemma was the owning Gemma O. 
Doherty, the journalist, the only one left. Kay Dawson very kindly stood out and gave John Paul a quick call to say that the vote has been taken. Five for Gemma O'Doherty, 28 against and six abstained. So she's certainly not getting a nomination for Cork County Council. She did have a bit of good news earlier, though, because she has been endorsed for the presidency by Leash County Council, which gives her one of the four that she needs Let me do a quick calculation because, okay, she's after getting leash. Galway, Kildare and Sligo are all set to meet today to discuss their presidential endorsements. I'm assuming that she is still in the mix in Galway, Kildare and Sligo. And if she is, she's going to need all three of those in order to get the four that she requires. And it has to be in and done by this coming Wednesday. We know we've got President Michael D. Higgins. We know he is running as uh, is uh, Leonie Rieda is has been selected for uh, Sinn Féin. And then we have Sean Gallagher. We've Joan Freeman, um, Gavin Duffy and Peter Casey. We've three dragons, Joan Freeman and then the Michael D. Higgins and Leonie Rieda. And we await to see now what will happen with Gemma O'Doherty. But the breaking news is that Cork County Council have decided not to endorse Gemma O'Doherty in her bid to get on the presidential ticket. 1850 Your thoughts welcomed on that. Edward O'Driscoll from Bandon was 91, I'm told, last uh, Sunday. And Edward is very well known, I'm told, to many people in the Bandon area, so we've been asked to say happy birthday to him, so glad to do that. Happy birthday, Edward O'Driscoll from, ba- from Bandon, 91 years young at the weekend. Pat says, hi Patricia. It was on the paper at the weekend that oil and fuel, coal and petrol are all going to go up. It's expected to go up in the budget. Could you, when, when you next have a Fianna Fáil politician on, would you please ask them about it? Now, I'm assuming what you're talking about, Pat, if you're talking about oil and coal and petrol and all types of fuel going up, it's a carbon tax. What's happening at the moment, we have the budget due next month in October and what happens at this time there's lots of kite flying and there's lots of suggestions and lots of different things are put into into the misc into the mix as what is likely to be in the budget and one of the things that has been mentioned is a rise in carbon tax now in the run up to the budget when we hear all the different things some of them you can take with a pinch of salt other ones you can kind of guarantee that they're they're going to happen I think we are going to see an increase in carbon tax um, and I'll, I'll tell you why uh, it's because of uh, the climate change and our commitment to climate change and we have to reach certain, certain clim- carbon chain carbon change targets and because of that we haven't been doing too well so we need to do something um we are still our gas house emissions are increasing they're going up instead of down so one of the ways to do that of course is to introduce a carbon tax it was first introduced in ireland in 2010 and a carbon tax adds extra to kerosene to gas uh, to oil Um, to all of our natural gas and to all of our solid fuels like coal and and turf and all of that. Now, the only thing is, and I know Leo Varadkar has been sort of floating this idea that, yes, there is going to be an increase in the carbon tax. He did say that the government is very aware that some people who are in poverty and who are the most vulnerable can be the worst affected when they do something like put up carbon tax, particularly on fuel costs. So they are aware of that. So they're going to try and do something to offset any increases. But yes, is there going to be an increase in carbon tax? 
I would kind of bet my bottom dollar we are going to see some kind of increases. Um, I know the Taoiseach himself said there will be increases over the next couple of years. So I think we'll see an increase in this budget, but it won't be just this budget. It'll be every budget for the next number of years, particularly where they try to work on our carbon our climate change at targets. 1850 Worrying news though. I accept that worrying news for so many people. Annalise Trussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic joining us. Uh, good morning to you, Annalise. Good morning. And you are very welcome. And I know today we're going to talk about probiotics. But before we do, there was a listener had sent very early today and I promised I would do this for them. Uh, could Annalise recommend a shampoo, please, for itchy scalp? It's not dandruff. I went to the doctor. The doctor recommended a shampoo called Nizerol, but it doesn't help at all. Could Annalise recommend something? It sounds like psoriasis. Well, it may or may, it could be, Patricia. Psoriasis tends to be more kind of like a plaque buildup, um, so it tends to be a lot more scaly. In my experience, like an itchy scalp is either um, an allergic reaction to the shampoo that you're using, which is more of a dermatitis one, and mostly people are reacting to something called... Um, the sodium lauryl sulfate, which is a foaming agent. The other things that people can be allergic to as well are two things called limonene, L-I-M-O-N-E-N-E, which is often like it's an extract of citrus. It's lovely. It gives it a lovely smell. And then the linalool, N-I-L-A-L-O-O-L. So if you could get a shampoo that are without those three things, that's one way of tackling it. And if that doesn't help, then the second reason in my experience that people have itchy scalp is it's a fungal thing. So um, the best thing for that then is something called grapefruit seed extract. And what you do is you can get it in uh, drops. Um, The higher nature have a product called citricidal, S-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L. It's a brilliant product, actually. It's great if you've got a throat infection. You can gargle with it. Um, It's um, brilliant for um, when you go on holidays to a foreign country. If you take a little bit every day, it prevents you from picking up like local bugs, you know, that might be in the water. And what's it called again? So it's called grapefruit seed extract. So it's the extract from the seed of the grapefruit. But the higher nature product is called citricidal, S-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L. Now, for the hair, you don't actually take it. And I should also mention, if you're on certain drugs where you can't take grapefruit, do not take this product internally. But it's fine to use externally, and it's a great antifungal. So for the scalp, I would mix about 10 drops in with a tiny bit of warm water and massage it into the scalp. Leave it on for about 20 minutes, and then wash your hair as normal. And do that until it clears up, and then after it's clear, all you need to do is add a few drops in every time you wash your hair with your shampoo, and shampoo it in and just let it sit on your scalp for a minute when you're in the shower and that'll keep it at bay. Well done. So either either are and just by the way that citricidal is great for fungal toes as well. Is that is it on to fungal okay. toes. And and the itchiness is I mean the itchiness in the scalp is drive you mad if your scalp was itchy. Absolutely. And of course as well with that a lot of the time, Patricia, you get the dry flakes. So it's very embarrassing for people yeah. when the flakes are falling yeah. down onto their clothes. Okay, today we're going to talk about uh, probi- uh, probiotics. What are probiotics? Yeah, so probiotics, Patricia, basically are good bacteria, beneficial bacteria that live in our gut. So there's been a huge amount of research started up now recently into the effect um, and on, on our health of the bacterial population in our gut. So there's actually billions of them in there, Patricia, billions upon billions I mean, there's more bacteria than there is cells in our whole body. 
So really you'd nearly question, are we actually just a host for these bacteria? Are they, you know, rather, are they controlling us? Are we controlling them? So they ha- there's loads of different types of um, families and strains of bacteria in the gut. And they all do different types of things. Like E. coli are actually a species that live in the gut. Now, we, when we hear E. coli, we think immediately food with, poisoning. We panic. Yeah, but actually it's healthy to have a few in the gut. Um, it's only when they become in big numbers, that's when it's a poisoning issue. So the most common ones that we would have in our gut are the lactobacillus species, and there's a load of different kind of types of those. So like lactobacillus is like a species of dog, uh, is dogs, and then there's loads of different breeds within the species, you know. Um, and then the bifidobacteria, they'd be more common in children. They'd probably be the most um, they make up the most of our gut bacteria, but they're still doing research and understanding. Like they think now, for example, that some people who carry one particular strain of, of a bacteria, of a lactobacillus, that helps them, them to stay thin. So there's, in fact, in some countries, there's clinics where you can get a fecal implant of a thin person into your colon. And the idea oh. would be that you will grow that species of bacteria then and um, become thin. But fecal implants, Patricia, are brilliant, like for people who've got IBS, especially... Yeah, I think it's just the thought of it, Annalise. It is probably, you see, I'm so used to all of that, it doesn't... Oh, yeah. I don't bat an eyelid. I think, great, let's everyone have one. But, um, <laughs> I'm not coming around to your house for tea. <laughs> <laughs> for, her, um, for IBS, it can be fantastic. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But so probiotics, why are they so good for us? Well, they have a huge role to play in modulating our immune system. So we have these alien species living in our uh, in our guts, but for some reason our immune system doesn't fight them the way they'd fight a normal virus or bacterial invasion. So they play a massive part in immunomodulation, trying to train our uh, immune system as to what's a threat and what's a non-threat. In fact, a lot of people with autoimmune disorders are found to have very, found to have very high um, of the Yersinia species in their gut. So it might be that they were infected with Yersinia bacteria. And that upregulated their immune system and they lost the immunomodulation. So we're finding out new things all the time. They also seem to play a large role in the brain. In fact, the, gut, the, the bacteria in our gut now have been kind of coined the brain, the gut brain. And there is a link between the good bacteria in your, in your gut and how you feel brain-wise. So we're starting to see new products coming out where you know companies are cashing in commercially um, and they're formulating probiotics for specific things. Now there's um, a company, an Irish company, they have two ones. One is called Alflorex that's used for IBS and there's another one they've released recently called Zenflora Z-E-N-F-L-O-R-E and they claim that that's very good for people who've got a stress-related dicky tummy and stress in the brain. So they're working on the gut and the brain with that probiotic bacteria in that supplement. So it's going to be very interesting because now that we're not allowed to use antibiotics, that we realise the damage that we've done to ourselves with antibiotics, by 2050, they reckon there'll be species that are immune to everything. So we could actually maybe use these good bacteria and flood the body with good bacteria in numbers and use them almost like an antibiotic, except they won't have any of the negative side effects by killing all the good bacteria. We put them just in numbers. It'll be like a big army that'll fight off the bad guys. And what food contains them? So the foods, you see, again, I suppose our way our diet has gone, Patricia, we don't have a lot of probiotics coming in in our foods anymore. So the foods would be mostly fermented foods. 
So yogurt would be the most common source that people would be familiar with. But you see, unfortunately, we pasteurize our milk now and then they have to re-inoculate with specific bacteria to make um, yogurts. And then the yogurts are full of sugar, so they feed the wrong bacteria in your gut. So if you really want a good yogurt with good bacteria, ideally it would be made with unpasteurized milk. But even if it isn't, just go for a natural yogurt with no artificial sugar added because that's going to undo the good of the probiotics. Other ways are um, pickles, so things like sauerkraut. The Koreans always have something called kimchi with every meal, and that's basically pickles that have been fermented in vinegar, and there's loads of lactic acid, good bacteria for the gut, so it aids digestion. So having some pickles that haven't been pasteurized with every meal is a great way to get the good bacteria in at the same time as your food. Pickled onions? Pickled onions would work so long as they haven't been pasteurized in the jar. And, and gherkins and things like that? And gherkins and things like that. You'll yeah. pick them up now at, at, at markets especially because it's becoming, it's becoming a big wave where people are, you know, becoming aware of the importance so they're starting to reintroduce these. There's another one as well, Patricia, that you can get if you don't take dairy because it's hard if you don't take dairy to get the good bacteria and it's called kombucha. And I remember my dad maybe 25 years ago got the kombucha foot mushroom and started making it and he swore that it kept his hair from falling out, that it prevented him from going bald. But it's um, you can buy the kombucha now in health stores as a drink, and that's a great dairy-free way of getting the good probiotics. Or you can get the fungus and you can make it at home yourself. It's actually quite easy to make yogurt and fermented foods like kombucha as well at home. It just takes five, ten minutes out of your day. And I would think, you know, in a dirty kitchen, it's actually better. You're getting loads of good bacteria in there. You don't need to spend your money on probiotics. Uh, hi, Patricia. Would probiotics be helpful for somebody who has a tummy bug, says the texture? Absolutely. And that's what I would start taking, Patricia, if I feel I'm getting a bit of a tummy bug. Is I start flooding my body with a good probiotic and I would take it every couple of hours. And generally, I don't come down with them. Then I don't get the full blown one. Um, even if it's going sort of through the family and that. So that's a great thing to take. Always after an antibiotic as well, you should take a probiotic supplement. Um, You know, there's specific ones for specific things. So there's one, for example, that they found can help your cough and cold fighting ability. Um, So there's an immune probiotic that you can take. The the Irish company that I was telling you about, the um, um, Atlantic, they make one called Alflorex. And that, is brilliant, I find, for IBS diarrhea. I don't find it as good for people who suffer from IBS constipation. And the other thing I would say too, Patricia, is that a lot of the doctors are recommending it at the moment for people to take after a probiotic, and it's not the right one. It's got one strain in there that was isolated from a baby's gut that seems to help with IBS. But people who've had an antibiotic, you need to take one that has got um, different strains like Udo's Choice, um, and I'm, I've just started stocking Udo's now in the um, in the shop here, Patricia. And actually, I have a, a nice little giveaway too now, I've just remembered. Uh, it, for the first person who comes in today and buys an Udo's product, I have a nice hamper from Udo's. They have given me a prize for, for people as well. Okay. So if you're stocking up, come in for that today. But BioCult is another good product too. They've got a good broad spectrum and you don't have to spend as much you know, as 50, 60 quid on a probiotic, it's not necessary. Yeah, because some of them are quite expensive. Willie says, is it kefir, kefir, K-E-F-I-R, yeah. as a probiotic? How does Annalise feel about that in relation to IBS? Yeah, it's fantastic. Again, if you've got IBS, you do need to look closely at dairy being maybe the source of your IBS, that you're not digesting it 
Um, but if you can take dairy, if it's not a problem for you, kefir is brilliant and I make it myself at home all the time, Patricia, with goat's milk. It's kind of like a thinner version of a yogurt. If you make it with goat's milk, it's very bitter. Um, I quite like it, but it's not for everyone. But it's so easy to make. Um, you just get the grains and you just put it into a jar, cover it over with milk and leave it in a warm place for a couple of days and then you sieve out the grains with a plastic sieve and you drink the kefir and you can start all over again so you don't have to spend any money on new grains every time. And it is wonderful. You will get so many bacteria in that. It is way better than any uh, probiotic on the market because you're getting completely billions and billions and billions of bacteria in each glass. And I do think Dirty Kitchen is great because you're picking up a whole range of different <laughs> strains of bacteria. Not too dirty, though. No, no well, not no, filthy. Not no. filthy. OK, all right. Somebody else says, do you always keep probiotics in the fridge? Not necessarily. Now, the Udo's ones need to be kept in the fridge. Um, and there's, they've, they've probably been one of the ones that are longer in the market as well. There's a lot of research. They've done a lot of research themselves. Those ones do, but a lot of them are shelf-stable. So if you can't keep them in the fridge, you will be able to get a different variety. Um, and they're wonderful, Patricia, for like you know, for kids, I think, in the winter time, it's a great way of upping their immune system. There's a lot of research coming out now with the probiotics and autoimmune probiotics and autistic spectrum disorder so i think go to your health shop and get the right strain and actually cycle them so if you want to stay on probiotics for a year don't take the same one all year take different ones because you're going to get different strains in every single one yeah actually you just answered the question for somebody i've been on a probiotic the same one for the last three years should i change it i think so it's you know if you're putting in this like each brand will have one particular genetic strain that they're kind of regrowing all the time and putting back into their capsules. Whereas if you take one from different companies, they'll all have different genetic strains. Even if it's the same type of like breed of bacteria, it'll be actually from a different genetic source. So yeah, cycle them. If you want to stay on it all year wrong, try different ones. When is the right time of the day to take your probiotics or somebody else? Yeah, again, I suppose it depends, Patricia. And I, I don't really kind of think there's any particular time personally. Some people will say take it on an empty, empty stomach so the stomach acid won't, you know, kill a lot of the bacteria in the capsule. Um, I think take it with food. That's how we have evolved to take in probiotic foods and bacteria with our food. Um, I think if you're on an antibiotic and you want to take a probiotic, take it away at night, away from the antibiotic. Um, and that will keep the strains going through. If you're taking um, a probiotic for your for your kidneys to prevent kidney infections, definitely take it in the morning because you want that to be working through your urinary tract throughout the day. So generally, rule of thumb, I would say, after breakfast, Patricia. Really. Okay. All right, we leave it there. Uh, good advice as always. We'll talk to you next week, Annalise. Thank Thanks, you for that. Patricia. That's Annalise Drissel, the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. And of course, next Monday will be the first Monday in October, will it not? It will indeed. So um, Annalise will do a question and answer session uh, with us. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Martin in West Cork says, Hi Patricia, I found Annalise Drissel's chat about good gut bacteria absolutely fascinating it's now called the second brain they say a simple stool test can analyze the bacteria in your gut and give you further information on your health uh, thanking you john paul and in particular Annalise. yeah i i have to say i i always find Annalise fascinating but today's on the gut bacteria yeah because uh, there's just uh, there's such a renewed um we're not a renewed interest there's just such a new interest in the whole thing of of gut bacteria and having good gut health 
health and how important it is. And it's just, it can be a minefield at times and I think she's very good at explaining it and putting it into layman terms for all of us. So my thanks to Annalise Dressel. She's also fantastic on a Monday. Michael in Castletown-Bear said it's absolutely disgusting. The Cork County Council refused to nominate Gemma O'Doherty as we heard we, we spoke about this before 12 and then it was in the news at 12. Such a distinguished journalist, says Michael. A sad day for democracy and a disrespectful day for women. Shame on them, says Michael. Well, I, I don't know about the disrespectful day for women. You don't just nominate somebody, particularly for something like presidency of the country, uh, because she is a uh, woman. But I can just tell you the, uh, the latest, the update on Gemma O'Doherty. She has been given a nomination from Leash County Council, but that's not enough. She needs four we know now she hasn't got uh, Cork County Council and they were quite unanimous in saying no to her. I have to say there was only five voted in favour. And so she now is saying that she is going to go down the route of uh, trying to get the her papers signed by independent TDs and senators. Speaking this morning she said she was in discussion with a group of of Oireachtas independent TDs and senators and was hopeful she would receive their support for nomination. She needs 20 signatures though and time is running out for journalist Gemma O'Doherty if she wants to get on the ballot paper because she has to have her name in by Wednesday. But Michael and Castletown not happy with what Cork County Council did uh, today. Now some more of your thoughts and comments coming in. Tim, this is tied in with rural crime that we were talking about and talking about not having enough guardie on the beat and people remembering the day when they had a local sergeant, you might have had a local sergeant and three members of the guardie in a, a barracks or in a station in your area that day, long since gone. But Seamus Sherlock of the ICSA, I think making the point in a, in a different era when we didn't have half the amount of crime we have today, but when you had the local sergeant based in all of the different towns and areas and, and the local Gardaí, they knew everybody. So they knew and they would have been involved in, you know, he spoke about the local sergeant being involved maybe in training the local hurling team or the local football team and they would know everybody that everyone that moved in that area so therefore when somebody new came into the area and particularly people who might have come into the area who had crime on their minds the local sergeant, the local guardie would know them but unfortunately we don't have, communities don't have that same relationship anymore with members of Angarda Siakona and that's not even the Gardaí's fault many of them are bogged down with the amount of paperwork that they have to do and I know Seamus spoke about that uh, as well Tim has a suggestion he feels that the Garda Reserve has not been as successful as was hoped and he says during the 1934-45 emergency there was a local security force they were out at night under the supervision of the local Garda sergeant they were looking for Germans landing by parachute because this was during the Second World War the the FCA now are the Reserve Army. It's heading for 80 years in existence. There should be a rural patrol in rotation, says Tim. I wonder how people would feel about that. The FCA going out and doing rural patrols at night. I Certainly, I, t- I tell you, Tim, the people living in those rural areas that are lying awake at night, fearful in their beds, they certainly would be happy if they thought there was members of the army or the FCA out patrolling their areas. Criminals wouldn't like it, 
but certainly I think a number of people would sleep better in their beds if it was to happen. I don't know if it's ever been mooted or ever spoken about before, but Tim says the precedent is there. They did it back in the emergency, checking for Germans landing by parachute. Why couldn't they do it now? They're not looking for people falling out of the skies, but they're certainly looking for criminals who are patrolling or casing the area. We spoke about carbon tax and the notion that a carbon tax is likely to be included in next month's budget, which means all of our fuel is going to go up. A listener says carbon tax increases are just another tax that is viewed that just has to be paid and cannot be avoided due to the cost of alternative heating methods. For instance, it has become almost €2,000 cheaper than in the boom times to fit a 60 tube solar panel plus all the tanks etc I didn't realise that it's actually cheaper now than during the boom times times, uh, and that's without grants however the costs have increased substantially since okay let me reread that again it has become almost 2,000 euro cheaper than in the boom times to fit a 60 tube solar panel plus all the tanks during the recession without grants however the costs have increased substantially since okay so you're saying they did come down in price and now they've gone back up again which is a real shame which means you are right, which means people then, uh, if, you can, if you don't have an alternative to your heating method, you're going to have to pay the carbon tax, which looks like they are going to rise uh, year on uh, year. Staying on the carbon tax, listener says, my coal man has informed me that the coal has gone up to €23 Euro a bag and says that from next year there's going to be no coal allowed, only the smokeless coal, which will obviously be more expensive. So in this year's budget, will it go up again? And uh, if so, will they be giving us extra in the fuel allowance if that be the case? Well, I think when we were talking about the likelihood that there is going to be an increase in in the carbon tax and it's all to do with climate change and it's all to do with us meeting our targets on climate change. I did mention that Leo Varadkar, Leo Varadkar did comment on and did talk about and did say that there will be vulnerable groups uh, and people who are living in poverty who are the most vulnerable, who will be the worst affected when something like this happens when there is an increase in carbon tax. So he is saying that they are going to have to be looked after. So I assume you look after them by doing something like, as you are suggesting, through the fuel allowance, an increase or an extension of the fuel allowance. So I, it's all guesswork. All of this is just kite flying. That's all it is. It's just, it is purely guesswork until we actually hear the budget on the day. On the community air ambulance that we spoke about, Patricia, the air ambulance is imperative and not only here in West Cork, but all over the region. It does need a doctor on board, though, not to take away from the paramedics. They are exceptional, though, after all of the efforts to raise funds, our government really need to get on board. Our country cannot keep relying on fundraising to bring this little island up to date with the rest of Europe let alone the rest of the world so the government need to get on board and make sure that there will be a doctor and I think there will my gut instinct tells me this is going to be extremely successful this air air ambulance and I think sooner rather than later we'll be having the announcement here on air that there has been there will be a doctor on board it would would take time absolutely it's going to take time but my gut instinct will tell me sooner rather than later I suppose we've waited 10 years to get the air ambulance up with another month and then the service goes live lives will be saved and lives will be changed 
absolutely utterly changed for the better if you can get him in. You think of somebody with uh, a stroke. We know how important a stroke it is for a stroke victim to get them to the hospital in the golden uh, hour and to get the necessary treatment. And it is the difference between somebody going on, recovering from a stroke and leading a normal life or somebody recovering from the stroke but uh, but whose life will, has, will never, ever be the same again. And that's just one example of what difference the air ambulance will uh, make. Somebody else is raising an interesting uh, point and looking for people's views on this. I said, Patricia, I just want you to put this out there, float this out there with your listeners to see where do other people stand and how do other people feel about this. If a person is suffering from a mental illness and that person has to have a procedure of any sort carried out where a signature is needed, it's he or she must sign the paperwork, even though those same patients are being cared for and can't make any other decisions for themselves. This is the law at present as it stands. Surely that needs to be changed and something needs to be done about it. If you have somebody who's been diagnosed with a mental illness, who has been cared for and is not allowed to make any other kind of decisions for themselves, surely then they shouldn't be allowed to make decisions where they would have to sign something, you know, when you sign and give your permission for the procedure to go ahead. I, I don't know, I'd have to think about that. I don't know how I, how I actually feel about that at all. I mean, you're, 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 you're taking total care and total decision making away from somebody who at the end of the day is suffering a mental illness as opposed to a developmental delay. Should they should be allowed to make some decisions for themselves and have some kind of autonomy over their, particularly over their own body. You're talking about somebody going to have a procedure or an operation where they need to give a signature. I, I don't know if I would be taking that away from somebody who, at the end of the day, is suffering an illness. Yeah, I'd have to think about that. Anyway, thank you for your thoughts. And we'll put it out there to see if other people have a view. 1850 333 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Donnerail Active Retirement Group next meeting is on this afternoon at three o'clock with a talk in the community centre in Donnerell. A talk on alternative medicine by Diane O'Reilly. A question and answer session will be held after the talk and all are welcome. Monster Bingo in the Parkway Hotel in Damanway tomorrow night with proceeds going to local charity. That's got a half eight start. And Irish Water are holding a drop-in information evening on Wednesday of this week in Bandon Town Hall from 6.30 to 8.30pm regarding Bandon's water main and the sewage upgrade. Members of the project team will be available to answer any of your questions. To Hallow Citizens Information Outreach Service, they will commence in the Canturk Temperance Hall on Thursday from 10am to 12.30. And Crosshaven Veteran and Vintage Club are hosting an auction for a fully restored 1978 MG motor car plus other items. It is happening next Friday and it's in aid of the wonderful Cork Arc support in the RCYC 8 o'clock on Friday evening. Further details from Mark 87 2650898. Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. 
C103, home of Cork Today with Patricia Messenger. Weekday mornings from 10. This is Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Now, the back end of last week, was it It was Thursday, Thursday of last week, I spoke with uh, Nicole, a young mother of a little boy, Riley, who was on the autism spectrum. And she put together this amazing little video that we have since put up on our Facebook uh, page, just trying to highlight autism and trying to get the message out to the general public that because it's, it really can be a hidden disability in that and a child on the autism spectrum looks absolutely perfect, as indeed do all children look perfect. But uh, you know what I mean? When, you, when, when somebody has a disability, sometimes it is more obvious. But with autism, you can look at a child and they might be having a little bit of a meltdown through no fault of their own, except their autism. And to anybody else, to the outside world, oh, that's a child being really bold. And, you know, the parents then can get kind of funny looks going, would you not control your child? And all of that. And it can make going out in public very, very difficult for families with a child on the spectrum. And for some, and it's been going on for many years, families have a tendency to lock themselves away. They don't go out, they don't socialise for fear that their child is going to kick off and what would happen and how would they be able to control the child and what will other people think and all of that. So Nicola, through her blog called My Boy Blue, has been trying to educate people, I suppose, and she's out there fighting for her own child because during the course of our chat last week, she was explaining the difficulty she's having getting a place for Riley in Cork in a school for a class for ASD uh, children and she's they're all full up for next September so she's her battle begins 12 months out to try to secure a school for Riley and it's still not looking good and I was watching some of her posts and some of her blogs over the weekend and uh, she's been ringing every single school in the area and they're all well being very sympathetic to her saying sorry no we don't have any, any places and sure maybe some other school might open up during the year or an extra class might open up and she's living in hope of that but she spoke very honestly I think about what it is like to live with uh, an autistic child and it isn't the easiest of uh, journeys and that prompted another listener to contact us who has emailed the programme and she's sort of more on the other end of the childhood part of with her son in that her son is 16 whereas Nicola is only starting out with Riley on the journey through school this mum is kind of coming to the end of the journey through school and she's asked for her name not to be mentioned because she's still in negotiations with the school and to to get over the problems that her son is currently having with the school. Let me read the email to you. But it's it's a powerful email in that you kind of stop and think, goodness me, what some families have to put up with and what goes on in other households that you are just completely unaware of. And it says, hi, Patricia. In regards to autism, I'm going through a rough time at the moment and I need you please to share my story. My son is 16 and is non-verbal autistic and cannot read or write. He's at school in a special school in Cork and has been there for three years. He's a gentle giant. Six foot three inches and a lovable young man. Many people locally will recognise him from that description alone. On the 12th of September last, he was involved in an incident in school where he became aggressive and frightened the staff. He is very tall at six foot three. He had a meltdown, which in a toddler is manageable, but in an adult is absolutely frightening. 
No long-term physical injury was done, but it was a frightening experience for the staff. I wasn't there and I'm awaiting for the CCTV footage of the event. The ramifications are my son has been suspended from both transport and from the school. He was originally offered schooling for one hour a day going forward, but that was indefinitely, which I refused as this is not an education. I was then offered the option of home tuition, which I've also refused, as this would be too isolating. ASD is a condition which isolates terribly as these children age and move more and more to the edge of society. Follow a meeting where these offers were rejected by me, I was informed that he has been suspended for a further 12 days, 12 school days. Will be allowed back to school on the 12th of October. But the sums don't add up. By my calculation, that's 22 days out of school. This is to allow the school to hold meetings, to organise, to allow my son to return to school safely. I understand this and I've been asking for a detailed plan. What exactly needs to be done? How can I help this process along? But still, I'm getting no reply. I work full time. I need a time frame for my own boss. If I lose my job, I lose my house. And looking for support or services is staring into a black hole. It is my son and I, 24-7, I've been looking for respite for about three years now and with no joy. And I am so deeply disappointed. Do you know, I can't get a social worker now unless I'm referred by the school. And I've been asking the school who my social worker was for the last two years and they don't know. And I love my son. He is my joy. But it can be exhausting, relentless grind. It can be soul destroying at times. And there is nothing. There's no support. There's no services. There's no structured help there for us And the future does look bleak. So strangers, please be kind. You've no idea the effort it takes to put a smile on our faces some days. And what might be a five minute annoyance for you is this person's actual life day after day after relentless day. I would prefer if you were withheld my name as I'm currently in negotiations with the school and the senior to get my son back to school and back to an education. My God. It's not heartbreaking. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking. And that's, uh, you know, a mum on her own. I mean, she's she's a single parent. It's just as she said, it's just her. It's my son and I 24-7. Can you imagine doing that 24-7? The only bit of respite that that mother has is when her son goes to school and she's able to get out to work to bring in the money, to pay the mortgage, to put the food on the table, to keep that little family unit going and to think she's in a situation. Now, I absolutely can understand where the school is coming from. If, you know, somebody who's six foot three has a meltdown and that and becomes aggressive. And that is very frightening to staff. I absolutely accept that. But this is a special needs school. Something has to be done quickly to put a detailed plan in place so that this young man can go back into school and that the mother can go back out to work and to fulfil her needs as well. I also think a social worker needs to be in there ASAP helping out that mother. She desperately needs some kind of respite. She needs some kind of support. She will not be able 
to maintain that level of care because she's obviously now out of work she's at home full time so the 24-7 bit is kicking in is certainly kicking in at the moment because she's not even leaving the house to go out to work she's at home looking after her gentle giant all day and her gentle giant does not understand why the bus or the taxi isn't coming every morning to take him to school he doesn't realise the implications he probably doesn't can't even remember what happened that day that he got aggressive and frightened the staff. And why did he get aggressive? Why did he frighten the staff? Why was he frightened? What brought on his meltdown? be interesting when his mum does get to see because nobody knows your child better than the parents. It'll be interesting when she gets to review the footage herself to see what led to the meltdown. You know, why did the staff not see what was coming down the tracks to be able to put in place something to stop that from happening. But my heart goes out to that woman, I have to say. It really does. And to hear her talk about what can be, she says, it can be exhausting, relentless grind. And that's what her life is like. And she's doing that all on her own. Every support should be put in place. Uh, and, and I don't know, I don't know this uh, woman. I don't know what part of Cork. I don't know if she's city or county. I don't know. So I can't even point her in the direction of possibly where she can go uh, for help. But, but she does need help and she does need support. Something needs to be done uh, to help out that woman because it really is uh, shocking. And I do hope she stays in contact with us and keeps us updated on what is happening. And I hope the school starts to see sense before the 12th of October. I mean, that's nearly three weeks away from now before he gets to go back into school it's it's not fair it's simply not fair Patricia Messenger on C103 nominated for speech broadcaster of the year at the 2018 Imro Radio Awards and Paddy Palmer joins us from the C103 Sports Department good afternoon to you Paddy and you Patricia and after the weekend's quarterfinals we now know the pairings for the Cork Senior Football Semi-Finals and there's going to be no Nemo Rangers no that was the uh I suppose the big talking point in terms of of the results of the of of the four quarterfinals that were played. Two of them were played on Saturday night. Since uh, Indoors repeated uh, Douglas basically the the early goals that the Bears got this one for Steve Sherlock after two minutes and all in, in the Dinicky after thirty minutes. It was two two to a point at that stage. In fairness to Douglas, they made a comeback, but eventually it was the Bears that got there. I suppose from that match, the big concern was the injury to the Bears goalkeeper Beckham Murphy, who broke his leg in. In, in that particular instance, the match was held up and he had an operation yesterday to put it in place uh, at uh, CU Heath. So, yeah, that was a bit of a downer for him. Cabin Rangers defeated Conning Kilty. So, those two teams now meet in the semi final. Half time was 10 points to 5 in favour of Cabin Rangers. Mark Hotnick goal after the break. It was a little bit too one sided, and this is the third time in a row I would, uh, I, I would think that Cabri have beaten their. Uh, Cabin Rangers have beaten their near neighbours. Would it be some semi final between themselves and the Bears when they meet in two weeks' time? Duhalla defeated Valley Rovers on Saturday night. Valley Rovers' poor shooting didn't help in the first half. But Donald O'Connor, uh, the veteran of so many campaigns, getting six points. He was really the difference, if you like, between the sides. And in there, as a result of that victory, they will play Castlehaven. And as you mentioned, Castlehaven de- defeating Nemo, 111 to four points. And I suppose the big thing was that Nemo didn't score until the 13th minute of the second half. And something like this has never happened in Nemo Rangers' side in the past. They had nine or ten wide in the first half. But Gaston played really good football. to three points to no score at halftime. And then Michal Hurley got a great goal um, shortly after the break. And that set up Gaston And that was probably the big surprise in club football. So the semi-final pairing, as I said, is going to be the Bears and Cabri Rangers to Holland and Gaston And what? 
too splendid matches. They should be in two weeks' time. But Anne in Bantry wants to know, will there be any fines or suspensions for the Castlehaven Nemo teams after the awful fighting incidents that took place during the match yesterday? Surely if Kilmacabee and Cora got punishment, uh, the same should apply to these two teams, Anne in Bantry. Oh, I didn't realise that. I wasn't able to get to that match yesterday, so I'm not, I'm, um, I'm not aware of what happened there, but I would imagine that if there was anything that happened like happened in the aftermath of the um, of the Ty McCorrig and uh, Kilmackie game, that uh, we'd have held about it. But, yeah, so I, I'm honestly able to touch as regards what happened there and okay. didn't get anything about it. So I'm a bit surprised with that. OK, in the Premier Intermediate Football and Hurling Championships, it was a good weekend for St. Michael's, for Charleville and for Kilworth. Yeah, in the, in the holding, first of all, Charleville was defeated from I. And I think they're going to be serious contenders for this year's championship. Dara Fitzgibbon getting four points to play was absolutely vital. There's Danny Osplane, who's been playing for them for quite a while. Andrew Cagney and Mark Tapner also with five points. And they will play, you know, either Father O'Neill or Kilwart in the county semi-final. Uh, Father O'Neill and Kilwart, who will do battle, I think, next weekend. In the Premier Intermediate, I mean, the other game in that, Kilwart defeating, as I said, Mallow, uh, that was played on Saturday night, I think, 3-9 to 2-10. And like that was a great victory for Kilworth. Like Mallory and got to the final last year, and they had a scoring burst midway through the first half, where Paddy Moakley getting two goals and Noel McNamara gets the other. And in the Premier Intermediate Football, St Michael's defeated Newmarket fourteen points to seven. It was a good result for them, and it, it sets up a meeting now between themselves and Arrow in the semi-final of that championship. And they have met on a number of occasions. They're probably. You know, the two strongest sides in it, the other side of that draw will be David Warren and, and uh, Fermoy. And most of the championships now, Patricia, are down the semi-final stage. And just, you know, there are some really incredible games coming up. But yeah, well done for the teams that you missed today. And to the intermediate championship where Mitchellstown and Blackrock made further progress. They can. In football, it was Mitchellstown who defeated y'all barely, though. Uh, they were leveling with five minutes to go. And then Sean Walsh, James Sheehan and Carl O'Mahony who ended up with one three got a couple of eight points, and that meant that they are no truth of the semi-final. What a semi-final that will be when they'll play the really fancied. Well, Mitchelstown are fancied as well. Uh, they will play uh, Kilnamatra. Uh, they, well, I'm not saying they're the two best teams in it. I think the other side of the draw was going to be uh, the Bears versus Mayfield that are half all of, but definitely the Mitchelstown-Kilnamatra game would be fair. It's going to the county finals. And Blackrock, some serious credit to this club, because they're no true to the semi-final of the Intermediate Hurling Championship. Their senior team are true to the senior semi-final. They defeated Kildare yesterday, and this game had, um, there was obviously a good bit of injury time in it, 13 minutes in all, and in the 12th minute of, of injury time, which is incredible when you consider a 60-minute game, uh, game, Ian Buffer got the winning goal, uh, so that put them through. And when you think that Black Rock and St. Michael's are, I won't say the one club, but they they serve the same area. You have Blackrock in both the senior and the ju- and the intermediate semi-finals, and you have St. Michael's the Premier Intermediate Football. It's been a good year for that neck of the woods down in, in that part of Cork City. There must be something in the water. There was also a number of games played in the County Junior Championship. There was, and like I mean, the County Junior Championship. We've been talking about the divisional finals over the past couple of weeks, and um, two teams from every division. Um, nominated the, the, the finalists, the two finalists, the victors and the losers, and they contest the county championship. So in football, um, there are 16 teams. In hurling, there are 14 because they don't produce hurling teams. 
But uh, in the junior football, Belly Martin, who have yet, by the way, to play their South East final. The South East division is the one division that failed to complete their games programme, which I think is a little bit of a concern if all other divisions have it done. Belly Martin defeated Garnish. I'd say this is the first time the Belly Martin ever played a football championship match. Uh, defeated them well, 16 points to 1-6. Kill Maccabee, who were mentioned there in a text earlier on, uh, um, produced a great last couple of minutes, of 10 minutes to defeat Father on his 318 to 111. Delaney's the city champions defeated Ty McCormick by a goal. Middleton from East Cork had a one-point victory over Orton from the Bear Peninsula. Uh, Middleton obviously in the hurling as well. And a real good game. Well, it had the potential to be a good game, but it come out a little bit one-sided where Bohobri defeated Kennedy in one ten to five points. And basically, all those winners now go into the hats for the quarter-finals. And I think those draws could be could be made tomorrow night. And in the Junior Hurling Championship, the one game that was played, it was a case of Kilbury from West Cork defeating Bellinora from Midcock, 117 to 13 points. Kilbury were the West Cork champions winning that last week. So, that, yeah, the good results for those teams. But these Junior Championships, I remember that whoever wins those championships has an opportunity of representing Cork in Munster and who knows they might do what not agreed did last year and get a, to go all the way to Cork Park and and winning all Ireland finally. Yeah. So there's a, there will be a lot of interest in those games over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and a, a great incentive to do well. OK, and before we let you go, what was the incident with the ladies' team that w- they weren't able to field a team because of the dual player scenario? Yeah. No, there's... I suppose... But there's a lot of Camogie clubs now. Camogie has been played probably for longer than ladies' football. And yeah. a lot of Camogie clubs are now developing a ladies' football section. One of those clubs is Corsi Rovers. Yeah. And they basically are the one club. They call themselves the Corsi Rovers Ladies Football and Camogie Club. And yesterday they were scheduled to play Killer in the Senior Holling Championship at 2 o'clock in Church Road. So I can get my facts right about this now. And um, at 5 o'clock, their junior team, their junior football team, which includes quite a number of the same players, as you can imagine, they were due to play Owen Dalla. As far as I know, though, they're a combination team from the Kentuck New Market area, and that game was meant to go ahead at 5 o'clock. Anyway, I do not win this course of Rovers try to get the games changed, but they played the Camogie game, and they won that, they beat Killer, and then they felt that in the case of, I suppose, player welfare, and all of that, that it wouldn't be fair to ask the same girls who had played a fairly strenuous Camogie match, which probably finished at what time, half past three, that they should play a football match at five o'clock, and they weren't able to fulfil that fixture. And I believe that the opposition team, Ondala, travelled to Nemo Rangers. There was no, no Corsi Rovers there, and uh, it stands at that situation now. Right, that was a scene. I suppose, impact their sort of social media about all of this. And a lot of people feel that the two organisations, ladies, football and Komogi, would need to come together. Now, you've been probably following some of these fortunes of the GA, the way they deal with hurling and football, and sometimes there are serious issues with dual clubs. So I think it's going to be a big ask for the Komogi and the ladies' football to come together. I mean, they have limited enough resources compared to the GA. So it's a big, big problem. And... Like, I mean, we have come across this a number of times at county level. But at club level, now it, it seems to be rare, as said. And it does seem to be a bit unfair that, you know, if you were to look at this from the outside, that a team would be expected to play, basically, 
a Camogie match and a ladies football match in the space of three hours. So I'm not too sure where all of this is going to go, whether the match can be refixed or whatever, but that was the, the general gist of that particular story yesterday. OK, what was the result you gave for the Kilmacabee match? What was, what was the score? I, I, thought, I thought I said 318 to 111. Did I get that wrong? Yes, 320. <laughs> you said 318. Somebody says, wrong score for Kilmacabee. Well, Paddy says, John, it was 320. Can you, can you just imagine to tell somebody listening that has that level of attention? Absolutely. And somebody else's great level of attention is Jim. Jim says that our own Michael Scanlon described the Nemo Castlehaven incidents as handbags at dawn and doesn't think there was any players booked so maybe it wasn't too serious but the Nemo manager was sent to the stand. Yes. But it wasn't as serious as as, uh, as an earlier listener thought it was. And I actually thought that you would be very interested in the exploits of Tiger Woods. I mean, well, I was surprised that it wasn't on, on your list. I did mention him earlier this morning. After five years, he's back. I would have not put money on Tiger Woods ever coming back. But, but, but not alone as he come back, but like the incredible falling that he had yesterday. I mean, he, like it's his first tournament it since 2013. But uh, the, there was absolute pandemonium, like on the final hole. Of, of that tournament yesterday, well, the final hole that Tiger Woods played. And it was amazing. Like, at one stage yesterday, like earlier on in the game, earlier on in the final round, Rory McIlroy was in there. And you had all these Irish guys absolutely going ballistic for Tiger Woods. His falling is awesome. And if there's ever anybody who wants to do a, a psychology study on it, like all the, I mean, he was, the best golfer of all time. And then he went through all this personal drama. Mm. He fell from grace. And then, that he is still that huge, huge following. And, you know, when he when he wasn't doing that well in golf, they, they reckon that figures fell off and mm. that golf had slipped down the ranking. And, of course, like, this is what they really, really wanted was Tiger Woods to win another, and, and another major. And, yeah. And he's done it. He's like a phoenix rising from the ashes. All right, Paddy, listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. And this actually is our final um, Monday sports review for the year. So thanks for that. And thanks for all your work throughout the year. Thank you. Bye bye. And congratulations to James Power. He won his, he's from Dripsy. He won his first professional bout in Tijuana in Mexico last night with a second round stoppage of a local uh, opponent. He is a 17 year old and he becomes Ireland's youngest ever professional boxer. So congratulations, uh, Dripsy's James Power. And in news is coming out from the Tidy Towns, the awards have been given out today. They're underway in Dublin. Number of people, number of our towns have won gold. Clonakilty, Cove, Yall, Coolagown, Kinsale, Balancolic, all getting gold. And uh, Mallow have, uh, McCroom have retained their silver medal. So congratulations. That's why I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the 9. Patricia Messenger, good afternoon. Talk today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.